which is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Today's teaching is by Pastor Daryl Ruin. Good morning. Let me look at you here a little bit. All right. You didn't have to dress up on my occasion. I count. What's that? Uh, it's good to see you, and I, I know I wrote it in the bulletin, but um, if things get away from me, just um, let me say a thanks to you for uh, ten wonderful years on behalf of my whole family, and um, um, for whatever small part uh, of your being here today is is to uh, to celebrate with me and, and, and the boys. Thank you for that. Um, Thank you to my Camp Magic friends for being here, and that's awesome. And so many of you that have come back, that Cornerstone was home at one point, and you've moved or moved on. And uh, for others who uh, uh, even got on airplanes to be here, thank you. What do you preach on your last Sunday? Um, I told you last week that that I have always thought to myself that if it were going to be your last Sunday to preach whether it's uh, your last Sunday in a place or your last, your last opportunity to, to preach at all in this life, I think you've got to go with the gospel. And um, last week, that's what we did. I gave you what, what is probably one of my favorite Old Testament pictures of Jesus and the cross and grace and mercy in Joshua chapter 3. And so uh, that was essentially for me you know, my, my final sermon today, uh, it felt like was going to be and is going to be more of just parting words. Um, but even that, you know, is a, is a challenge. What, what are those last things that you want to say? I've always been intrigued by the last words of people, whether the last words that mark a, a season or a time in their life or ministry um, or or their last words on this earth. You know, those have got to be important in some form or fashion. More than that, what, I, what I've determined is that uh, they probably say something um, telling about the person. So I, I don't take lightly, you know, the last words. And so I've, I've put a lot of thought into what, what my last words from, from this table, from our family table, would be to you. Inevitably, there are lists that come to a pastor's mind if he thinks, you know, I got one more shot at these guys. Let me lay it on them and let me give you, let me give you, you know, 10 or 12 or 50 things that I need you to know before, before I go, you know. And I started to do that. I started to formulate a list of, of my hopes for you and my hopes for Cornerstone, my, my dreams for Cornerstone. I want you to know what those are. I started to make a list of my prayers for you, all of which I, you know, I started to, to list out in my heart and my head and even on paper that I, that I would share maybe one of those with you. Uh, and then I, I started to think, well, maybe, maybe I just need to give them my, my final challenges to this body of believers, you know, kind of like your marching orders. What would, the, what would the last things I would say to you officially as lead pastor of this church? What would those be? Uh, maybe... I thought at one point, maybe I need to give you what, you know, from my heart and my perspective and from my 
um, my time as pastor and at my time with the Lord, what, what would be the list of non-negotiables that I want to leave you and this church and these elders with that you would cling to? You know, those would be important for me um, to, to make sure you know about. And so I, I started thinking about the non-negotiables that I would want you to know and cling to forevermore in this place. No matter what changes, what things would I want you to hold on to? And what is that beeping noise? Does anybody know? Just hit it with a broom or something. Then I came up with, in the spirit of David Letterman, my top ten things I've learned in ten years of pastor at Cornerstone. And um, I decided not to share that. That wasn't a good thing to share. (laughs) Even better, and some of you are going to want this list. I started a list of the seven things whoever the new pastor is can't say but would love for you to know ahead of time. I can tell you he's not going to be able to say it. But uh, that wouldn't be a good, a good one either. And I started thinking about, you know, well, what if there was just one thing? You know, what if you had to just nail it down to, you know, one thing? Apart from the, what's your last sermon? And, and it's got to be the gospel and Jesus. And What would be, like, if I, there's a nugget or there's something, or if there's one dream, one hope, one prayer, one challenge, one non-negotiable, one thing. If I had to, if I had to bring it down to one thing, what would that be? And, you know, that, that's, that's a hard thing to do. And I, and I started going through a list of what those one things would be, and, and, I, and I was having a hard time settling on them. And I, and I don't know that what I'm going to give you today, it's one thing, and I, but I don't know if it's, if it's the one thing. It's the one thing for me, and it's the one thing right here, right now, today, that the Lord allowed me to feel comfortable with to share with you today. So take it for that. In a funny way, I guess you could say it's the summary of all those other lists, at least in, in my own heart and mind. If you want to jot something down, jot down these three verses. They essentially say the same thing. Psalm 138, 6. James 4, 6. And 1 Peter 5, 5. Psalm 138, 6. James 4, 6. 1 Peter 5, 5, and if you want to turn to any of those, that would be fine for the rest of my time. It says this essentially, and it's quoted from different places back and forth with each other, but it, it essentially says this, that God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So, you know, in the spirit of uh, Jack Valance and... and uh, City Slickers, you know, you remember, remember City Slickers? Billy Crystal, businessman, goes out west and he's going to do this, this, this dude ranch thing with his buddies and they go out and they're, learning, they're having these midlife crisis things and maybe it fits for more reasons than one. Um, and they're out there and they've got this, this old leathery leader that, that is, he's the real cowboy and he's leading them across the country and they're, they're starting to figure out that this, this really simple cowboy has has more things probably figured out than they ever have in all of their education and all of their business experience and all of their, and all of their extensive relationship experience, etc. And then they start to find themselves looking to this, this quiet, rustic, leather-faced guy, Jack Valance. And uh, at one point in the movie, you know, Billy Crystal's having this, this conversation with him and, uh, and Jack just finally stops and he says, you know, there's... There's, there's just one thing you've got to figure out. Just one thing. 
And Billy says, okay, what's that, what's that one thing? And he says, uh, that's for you to figure out. This, this morning, this, this verse, this, this idea that God is opposed to the proud, he gives grace to the humble. It, for today, for now, it's my, it's my one thing. And until God lets, lets me uh, away from it, it is my one thing. This, this is the, the thing that the Lord set my heart on for us. And when I say us, I mean, I mean you and me. This isn't for you. This isn't your list. This isn't your one thing. This is, what he's, this is what he's been saying to me of late, and I think it's what he wants me to leave with you for whatever reason. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The thing that I really thought I wanted to focus on, the one thing that I really thought I wanted to say, and, I, and I've said it many times to you before, is that relationships are where it's at. <clears throat> and if uh, any of you who have been in ministry uh, for very long want to amen that, you, you can, because I think if you've been in this thing for a little while, you come to that conclusion that at the end of the day, it's about relationships on every level. The gospel is about relationship. The Trinity is about relationship. The Great Commission is about relationship. Evangelism is about relationship. Discipleship is about relationship. Fellowship is about relationship. Even church discipline is rooted in relationship. Unity of the body is about relationship. Grace and mercy and love is about relationship. It's all, it's all about relationships. Relationships is where it's at. I, I've said that to you many times in many ways, or, or especially the most recent years. I thought that's really what I wanted to say, but my heart never settled on that. The Lord never let me get comfortable with that. Something more needed to be said than that. Something else needed to be said than that. Like something that seemed you know, critical to that needed to be said in addition to that. And what it is, I think, is Psalm 1 and 38, 6, James 4, 6, 1 Peter 5, 5. It's this idea that God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. It feels like to me that that, that principle, that concept, that Bible teaching, it feels like is the key to relationship. I'll make it simple. You want to, ru- you want to ruin relationships? You be the one who stands above and looks down upon You be the proud one. You be the haughty one. You be the smarter one. You be the more talented one. You be the one who's got it figured out. You be the one who who is above looking down your nose at the one below. And you will ruin relationship. You want to succeed in, in what is probably the most important area namely relationships, you want to succeed there, then you you get low. Don't have to be the smartest. Don't have to be the one with the answers. Don't have to be the one that's right. Don't have to be the one who's more talented, more gifted. Don't have to be the one who has it all figured out. Don't have to be that guy that's on top. Kids, don't have to be the one that, that always gets the attention. Don't have to be the one that is the coolest or the, the most popular. Don't have to be that one because in the long run, that's not the guy that is, is respected by all. The truth is, listen now, there is always opposition to the proud. 
there is always opposition to the proud. And typically there is grace given to the humble. No matter what relationship you think of, there was always going to be opposition for the one who sets himself up in a haughty manner. The one who sets himself above and looks down upon, you will always be opposed. It's certainly true with God. When, when these verses say that God is opposed to the proud, to the haughty, to the one who's puffed up, lifted up, when it says that, it paints a picture. It, it, it could say that God sets himself against those who are proud. God sets himself in a stance of war against you. It's, a, it's like a boxer who goes, from, who goes from shoulder to shoulder with you to one step back and is now in a defensive or an offensive position. That's the stance God takes against pride. It, it doesn't work in relationship to God. But it's not just true about God. It's true about every, every relationship. You be the proud one. You be the one lifted up. You be the one higher looking down. And everyone else's nature will be to go on guard against you. <clears throat> I said it's typically, it's typically the humble that will receive grace. And the reason I say it's typically is because it's sometimes true, but it's not always true. It's always true with God. It is certainly true that he, he sets himself he sets himself opposed to the proud. It is always true that he gives grace to the humble. The Father in heaven is opposed to our pride. He's opposed to our being above and higher and lifted up and elevated. That's his place. He sets himself at war against that. But the heart of the Father is to dispense grace in a lavish way for any of those who would lower themselves. That is always the case with God. I said it's typical in most cases for those who, who are humble to receive grace because it's not always the case with us. In human relationships, it's always true that if you set yourself above, people will always be in opposition against you. They'll always be closed to you. They'll always be resistant to you. They'll always be defensive to you. <clears throat> but it's not always true that if you are humble in human relationships, that they'll always extend grace to you. God is the only one that can be trusted with that as a definite. You want relationships <clears throat> and you want them to be open. You want relationships where people aren't on guard against you, where people don't feel like they're in, in defense against you. If relationship is that, is that one thing, that really important thing, this verse is the key. Don't set yourself up above others because then they won't be open to you. Guess what? In relationships, they're going to shut down. They're going to be closed to you. You want relationships to thrive? I guarantee, I guarantee the best recipe for relational improvement, whether it's your 
relationship with your children, your spouse, church members, neighbors, co-workers, boss, whoever it is. You put yourself below. You start picking up character traits like meekness. Humility. You, you don't have to be the one that's right on top, knows best, has the right direction, the right way. It just happens to be that people respond well to that. Think back now, some of you who are a little older now, think back to maybe <clears throat> those two or three people in your life that... Um, whether it was in high school, college, or even, even now, there's probably just a, a small, unfortunately, handful of people that you look back upon and they, they epitomize what I'm talking about here in humility, right? <clears throat> they epitomize what I'm talking about. They never seem to put themselves above. They never seem to, even if they maybe deserved it for some reasons, like they had great talent or they had great wisdom or they had some of those things, they never really seem to put themselves above. I mean, you can think of a few of those people. I, I can think of... I can think of just a handful of men. You know, I think back to high school. I think of a Randy, a, a Jeb Smith. You know, I would, I would name my kid after that guy. Nick Kimberly wouldn't allow me to name any of them Jeb or Gus. Neither one of those worked. <clears throat> but I never heard the guy say anything bad about anyone. I never, heard, I never heard anyone say anything bad about him. I think of in college, I think of a Kenny McKinney. He was, he was just, um, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't be upset at the guy. And he never seemed to be upset at anyone else. There was righteousness, there was holiness, there was divinity in, in his simple meekness and humility. I've got a few quotes here because um, there are guys I go to over the years in pastoring and in preaching that just know so much more than I do. And I want to leave you with these, these five quotes because they, uh, they say it in grand ways. So um, D.L. Moody talked about humility this way. He said, A man can counterfeit love. He can counterfeit faith. He can counterfeit hope and all other graces. But it is very difficult to counterfeit humility. Philip Yancey, you want an author that will challenge you? He said this, Whatever makes us feel superior to other people, whatever tempts us to convey a sense of superiority, that is the gravity of our sinful nature, not grace. Don't be mistaken. A guy named Andrew Murray, great shepherd heart theologian, said this, I'm sure that there are many Christians who will confess that their experience has been very much like my own that we had long known the Lord without realizing that meekness and lowliness of heart should be the distinguishing feature of the disciple as they were with the Master. Such humility is not a thing that will come on its own. It must be made the object of special desire, prayer, faith, and practice. J.C. Ryle is a guy I go to more often probably than any other commentator when I'm trying to teach through a passage. J.C. Ryle said this of humility. Humility and love are precisely the graces which the men of the world can understand if they do not comprehend doctrines. They are the graces about which there is no mystery and they are within reach of all classes. The poorest Christian 
You don't have to be the smartest. You don't have to be the most educated. You don't have to have been a Christian since childbirth, as if that were possible. You don't have to be seminary educated. You don't have to have a lot of money. You don't have to have a lot of class, clout, position, power, none of that. The poorest Christian, the brand new Christian, can every day find occasion for the practicing of love and humility. One of my favorites. You heard me uh, quote him a lot over the years. A.W. Tozer. The heart's fierce effort to protect itself. And you better believe your hearts seek to protect themselves. From every slight to shield its touchy honor from the bad opinion of friend and enemy will never let the mind have rest. The meek man will attain a place of soul rest. As he walks on in meekness, he will be happy to let God defend him. The old struggle to defend himself is over. He has found the peace which meekness brings. God is opposed to the proud. He sets himself up against the proud, but he always gives grace to the humble. That principle works in all relationships. If relationships is where it's at, if there's any key to relationships, I feel like I have to leave you with with those words. God and everybody else I've ever met is, is rubbed wrong when you put yourself above them. But God always, and very often the rest of us, will extend grace to those who don't have to be the one above. Cornerstone family, seek humility. Seek the meekness that is modeled in our Savior Jesus Christ. Follow the words of of John when he saw Jesus. That guy, let him be lifted up. Let him increase. Me, let me sink down. Let Let me hide. Let me decrease. Let me get low. Can I just tell you... Um, if, if in all my experience it's come down in my heart and mind to just say to you, man, relationships is where it's at, but more than that, how, how, do, you, how do you do that right? Be like Jesus, <laughs> who, who thought it not, who thought it not a robbery, thought it not something strange to, to let go of the equality that he had with the Father, even though he had every right to do it, but, but that he would humble himself to the point of a, a bondservant and a slave, and even to the point where he would be crucified on the cross. Be, be, like, be like Christ. And I just tell you, you'll get lucky when it comes to relationships. But this, you understand, not luck. It's the Word of God. God's words are not idle words. They are very life. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, um, certainly, as I said earlier, there are a hundred things, a thousand things that I could have... uh, shared this morning. This is the one you wanted shared and and so I ask that uh, Holy Spirit you would um, 
do the work in the darkness of our hearts where maybe bitterness hides, resentment hides, pride hides. Lord, we would not have you to be set against us because that's a losing proposition. So, Lord, we get low in your presence. And when we do, we give you thanks that your arms open wide to receive us. You're not opposed to us who bow down before you. You embrace us. You call us children. You call us friends. You call us beloved. We thank you that through your son you made a way for that relationship to be restored. May may that be the model. May that humility and sacrifice and meekness that we have found in Christ be the model for all of our success in relationships here on this earth for the remaining of our days, however many more you give us. We pray in Jesus' name, who is our cornerstone. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.